I want to welcome all of you to Cherry City Community Church. If you don't know, my name, my name is Dave, and I pastor this wonderful group of Christ followers. Huh? So uh, if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, well, you know, I, there's some Patriot fans in here today, unfortunately. So I so said somebody with a Brent Favre shirt on Green Bay. Now that's a that's our quarterback. That's a manly quarterback, not the GQ sissy guys that you got running around. But just just <laughs> All right. Okay, so I was gonna wear <laughs> I was gonna wear my jersey, but I thought once I get to that, our Super Bowl Sunday is coming up, and it was next week, but it's actually the week after, so I didn't want to wear it two weeks in a row. But it'll be on as soon as I leave here. Huh? You know it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's ready to go. <laughs> okay, so getting back to football. So beginning, if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, oh man. Beginning of the year, your guy is Tony Romo. You know, he's healthy. He, you, know, you, you know, you think he's going to be a quarterback. Turns out, boom, he's got an injury, can't start the season. What do they do, man, you know? They turn to a kid they picked in the fourth or fifth round named Dak Prescott. And right there, you're down. You go from a nice Italian name like Tony to Dak, right? <laughs> well, Dak Prescott comes in, lights out, man. Talented, talented young man, great athlete. Week nine, the Cowboys are eight and one. They're leading their league. Tony Romo's healthy. He's ready to come in. Can't happen. They got too much momentum. Dak is doing great. Tony realized that, and he acknowledges it. He said, hey, Dak is doing great. He's got the team at eight and one. That's not easy in this league. I understand it's his team right now. And they're interviewing him, and he turns around, and he says this. He says, if you think for a second that I don't want to be out there, then you've probably never felt the pure ecstasy of competing and winning. That hasn't left me. In fact, it may burn more now than ever. Wow. See, he's an athlete, right? Why? He wants to be in the game. He wants to compete. And in this series, we're trying to encourage you, motivate you. God, Holy Spirit, inspire you to have this same mentality to get in the game by worshiping God and serving other people, huh? And serving people. Last week, we kind of got specific. First week, we talked about developing a mindset of servanthood. It begins with you know, focusing on others and not yourself, not looking for personal gain, having a good attitude. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 43 through 44, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all, meaning you want to consider others before yourself, not better than yourself, but before yourself, right? The, we kicked off the series with that mindset of a servant, and the mindset of a servant is, we said, it's a joy to serve others the same way that Jesus served me by coming to earth to die for my sins. That is paramount. God came down and served us. No other religion, no other branch of faith can state that passionately, thankfully, that our God came down and served us, and it's why we are who we are. Last week, we got specific about serving. We talked about serving people in our family, right? Parents serving children with affection and care and love and encouragement. Siblings, brothers and sisters looking to serve one another. Not to see what they can get, not holding grudges, but serving each other. And then... Children, whether they're five or 50, looking out to serve their mom and dad. You know, what can I do to bring gladness or joy into the life of my mother or father by serving them, 
by putting them first and giving of my life, my time, my resources to them, that they would be encouraged and filled with joy. I want to serve them, yes? Now, this week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to serve the lost. Now, you know, I'm not really big on Christian jargon. I try and keep it, you know, you know, safe here. People who come in, they happen to church in a long time. We have people who've come in and have never been in church in their life. So you're wondering, well, who are the lost? Well, at one point, we we're all lost, right? Some more lost than others, right? You're looking at me and Christy here. Certainly, she was more lost than I was. But then she found me, and everything changed. <laughs> but when we say lost, what we're talking about, because, you know, I, you know if, I'm, if I, I could see that could be, a, like, you know, I told, it's un, it could be offensive to people, right? Like, you call me lost, like, you know, like you got it so together, right? But what we mean is when we say lost is it, it's, we're talking to groups of people that don't have this um, noticeable, vibrant relationship with God and have faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, not, you know, it's not evident in their calendar, their checkbooks, their conversation. It, it, you know, I mean, they haven't placed their trust and confidence in Jesus Christ and the Lord and Savior. If that's not happened, we see them as kind of lost out there. And, and we're, it is, we exist, one of our callings in life is to see God find these people, reach out to them, and to see them now take a hold of that incline, inclination of God to touch them, stir them, and to turn to God. And now they're found, right? I once was lost, and now I am found. Amazing grace, because that's what it is. It's grace. And that's the difference between us and them, that we've been recipients of the grace of God. And we have now taken a hold of that and are living our lives, literally riding that wave of grace of God in our lives. Yes? At one point in our lives, we were all there. Now keep in mind, when I say lost, I don't mean worse. We make that mistake sometimes. We talk like that. I wonder if some of you believe that. This isn't a matter of better or worse. It's lost or found. Some people who have been found, I'd rather hang out. I'd rather hang out. And I know I get you going when I say this stuff. But there are times I'd rather go out and hang out with some people that are lost and that are found, right? Yeah, it's just true. So it's not a matter of being better or worse. It's a matter of being lost or found. And we as believers want to grasp that, huh? It would be nice to be better, though, right? Better in our attitudes, better in our conduct, better in how we see life, better in how we treat people, better, 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 better. A big uh, reason for this church is we like to see people get better in their marriages and all, in all areas of their lives. He's cool. He's good. Nice to see you. How are you? Maybe you, I think we have a little Steeler jersey right up here. We can track right on you. Okay. <laughs> All right. When we, now the thing is this, you got this kind of a spectrum, right? Where uh, I just want to try and draw your picture, give you an illustration that People who are apart from God, they, they tend to be over here, where we all once were, and we want them to get over here, where, you know, darkness and light. Darkness meaning they, they, they're not in conversation with God. They, they aren't sensitive to the presence of God. They're not talking to God. They, they're not being convicted and stirred by the Holy Spirit. This is like, you know, and of course, they're going to damnation. They're, they're going to hell. And light, of course, is I'm talking to God. I'm considering God. I'm turning to God. I'm living in a way that God command me, and I have eternity with my Father in heaven, right? And so somewhere between here and here is the middle, what I call, we call neutral. So think of it, negative one, all the way to negative 10, and over here, zero, positive one, blah, 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 right? 
most people in today's world, a lot of people kind of see the church and God not in a good light, certainly in New England. I, I think it's like when it comes to, you know, God, it's kind of like fuzzy, mushy, uh, really not valuable, and, and maybe even kind of a negative way. When it comes to church, usually negative. Hypocrites, all they want is your money, uh, you know, this, that, they hate people. It just can get really negative. So pretty much most, a lot of people who are unchurched, who are lost, now are in this negative place, right? We want them to get to positive. We got to get them to neutral first. That's why we came. One of the reasons why we came into the cinema, and it was kind of really like, whoa, what are you doing? Was we realized that the cinema is neutral. That's why we came in here. We wanted to give people this atmosphere, the environment. When they came in, they weren't going to dwell on the negative, have thought they were just going to be like, what is this? I remember standing here in Walmart one time, you know, in the aisle and telling people, I'm going to start this church, here's the name of it, and uh, would you come? And they're like, and I would tell them where it was, and they would be like, oh, you mean downtown? I'd be like, no, it's not downtown. Are you going to fix it up? I'm like, place is great. i got to fix it up, you know? And, you go, oh, you know, the driving on Broadway. I'm like, what are you, t- t- I don't know how else to tell you, buddy. And then we'd finally get on the same page, and, and he'd be like, oh, oh, in the, in the movie theater. I'm like, yeah. And they'd say, I don't know, man, it's, it's different. I, I guess I'd have to check it out, you know, neutral, right? We wanted neutral for those who are apart from God, the lost, to come in. And I think we did a great job with neutral, right? You've done fantastic. I always say about a, I should really do the exact percentage, but more than a third of the people that are part of this church were not going to church. And that is phenomenal in this day and age. I want to let you know that. So we want them to get to this kind of zero, if you will. Huh? We want to see them move along. And we want to help them get to that neutral place so they can get to positive. And we want to talk about now how we can do that. How you and I can get in the game, serve the lost, and see them come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, the first thing we want to do is we want to be a neighbor to them. Now, most of us think as a neighbor is someone who lives next door to us or close to our house, and that's cool, you know? I mean, that's what a neighbor is. I've had good neighbors and bad neighbors. It might shock you that my first good neighbor was a dog. Now, I don't, I don't dislike dogs. I just don't like the dog that lives in my house. But overall, I'm good with dogs. And so what happened was um, there was this Pol- an elderly Polish couple that lived next door to us. That man was a big husky guy. The wife didn't even speak English. She cooked some great, what were they, pierogies or pierogies? Yeah, banging pierogies. And, uh, and she would, they would give them to us sometimes. Well, one day I come home and there's a dog, and it's like big black dog. And I, and I look over the fence and I see the guy, and I'm like, oh, you, you got a dog. And I'm thinking he got him from the, you know, the pound ASPCA. I'm like, well, uh, how old is he? He's like, oh, he's three months old. I'm like, whoa, three months old. He's like, <laughs> it looks like he's like 70, 80 pounds. I said, how big is it going to get? He's like, ah, oh, it was 250 pounds. It was huge. It was huge. It was a new, Newfoundlander. Oh, man, dog, just monster dog. And I'm thinking, I am going to make friends with this dog because you got a four-foot, weak little chain-link fence. This guy's going to be a monster. So when I come home, I'd stop over, I'd look over, I'd wave, I'd call him, he'd come running over. I'd give him treats. And, you know, I'd play with him, I'd pet him, I'd talk to him. He's just a really adorable, fluffy dog. He, he really got taken to me. The funny part was... He really got attached to me, and so like Christy would, you know, look out the window and say, Dave, somebody's on the phone, or Dave, you know, you got to come in, or Dave, I need something, and she would pull me away from him. Well, he didn't like her. He grew jealous of her, and it was funny when he was little, but when he got bigger, I'm telling you, he was about to, you ever see Clifford, the big red dog? This was, 
This was Pepper, the big black dog. And Chrissy come walking down the driveway and whoa! He, oh, she like, you know, like, man, yeah, he, he just did, you know, he just did not like her. It was very, I thought it was very funny. <laughs> so, you know, these neighbors, where am I? But, you know, this word neighbor, this concept of neighbor comes to us from the Bible, and it, it's in the Gospel of Luke. And, you know, the God, Luke is part of what we call the Gospels of Jesus Christ. These four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament. The Bible's in two parts, right? The Old Testament, all that went on before Jesus Christ was born. The New Testament starts out with Matthew and these Gospels of Jesus, and they tell us about the life and times of Jesus Christ. Incredible books to learn about this incredible man. No other man, whether you believe in God or not, no one person has affected this world like this man, Jesus Christ, right? Whether you believe he just was this Jewish scribe or you believe, as I do, that he was the Son of God, no one person, no one person's teachings and words have changed and affected this world like that man. You might want to read those four books. They're incredible. Well, one of them is this, written by this man, Luke, who's like a physician. He's very intelligent, and he records the life of Jesus. And we get to this point in Jesus' life where he's hanging out and his crowd is gathered around him. And one guy is kind of like an expert in Jewish culture. Jewish people were very God-centered. He's an expert in what they call the law and the customs. And he's asking Jesus questions. <coughs> and one of them is, you know, like, you know, like, you know, what's the greatest commandment? How do you obey God? And, and Jesus turns around and he answers them and he answers by telling the man, you know, the greatest thing you can do for God is to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, which the man had known that. But Jesus adds, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a great twist to it, huh? And love your neighbor as yourself. So the guy, maybe part sincere but part cynical, part inquisitive, says, well, who is my neighbor, right? And that's where we're going to pick it up. And Jesus then turns around and gives us this parable, which is a story. It's one of those great stories known to the history of mankind. Luke chapter 10, verse 33 through 37. Jesus says, actually we're going to go to 30. I want to give you the whole thing here. Jesus says, in reply to the man's question, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going by the same way, a Jewish priest, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, another Jew, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, chunk of change, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. Which of these, Jesus is talking to the man and to the crowd, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Huh? Wow. So these priests and Levites, these Jewish men, they fulfilled a, a, a lot of religious duties in that day. They were kind of equivalent to, say, ministers of our day. But this particular day, Jesus doesn't say being religious is how we serve the laws. It's not what he's saying. Huh? Matter of fact, they were overwhelmed with religiosity in those days. Huh? Customs, ceremonial duties, 
things to do and not to do, right? So much so, meaning religion as they knew it, huh? kind of status quo, things they preferred, things they knew, doing things the way they wanted to. So much so that they were too busy and had to move along when this man, this child of God, was sitting there in such a terrible place. See, these Samaritans, by the way, were outcasts. They were despised by Jewish people, as many of you know. And they separated from each other. What's interesting is that this Samaritan, he says he's coming from Jerusalem and he's going to Jericho, which means he had already been in Jerusalem. He must have been visiting, highly likely, a Jewish man. So he's a Samaritan, goes into a territory where he's probably disliked. He's so different from all these people. And he's likely very different from the man he's visiting in many ways. Listen, it is about being compassionate. Somebody is in need. Somebody is hurting. Somebody needs you, and that's who you are a neighbor to, yes? He is treating this man, the Samaritan is treating the wounded Jewish man with compassion. Apart from all things, he's reaching out to him, and he's treating with compassion. I want to tell you something else about the story, and this is really... What, if you get me, and I won't get into it now because I still got to flesh it out because I really believe there's a great, there's a, not a greater, but another great message here. I believe Jesus is leveraging this story to teach them, those people there, the Jews, and us about reaching out to people who are different from us. Do you understand that? Meaning they're different from us. That was an incredible difference there between the Samaritan and the Jew. And he's showing them, be compassionate, serve so love is merciful, right? You love by showing mercy, and he did that. And you serve by taking action. And you can take action with those who are different from you, different in age, different in race, different in, uh, in income, different in their religion. This is what we've got to do as a church. This is why we've got to engage culture, and sometimes on their terms, in their way, not abandoning the gospel of Jesus Christ, but saturating ourselves with it. And one of those ways is to serve others who are different from us, not just, you know, not just staying within our own circles. You, you understand what I'm saying? This has really kind of been one of the plagues, if you will, harsh word of the 70s and 80s and 90s within Christian circles, that we began to stop doing that, that we really began to just kind of come, come more and more and more just to within ourselves and really began to kind of become uncomfortable or distant, those who are so different from us. But definitely, we're not going out there. They got it. People say, do you do outreach? I'm like, yeah, 352 Sundays, uh, 52 Sundays a year we do outreach, right? We're always doing outreach. We always want to connect and relate to the Lord. I'm all over the place here. So you got to see that it cost the Samaritan something. Oil, wine, money, time. He was sacrificing for this guy. It was an action. He was doing something. He was serving him. Meaning, what was he doing? If you want to put it in terms of serving someone who's lost, who's apart from God, who doesn't know what you and I know, he was moving the man from a negative 10 to a negative 7. How good is that? Someone moved you from a negative 10 to a negative 8 or 7. Let me tell you this today. That's your role. Our role is not to take them from negative 10 to 0. You'll likely not do that. It is God calling them, touching them, stirring them, and drawing them to Him that is going to do that, I believe. 
but God working through you, through your servanthood to these people, well, that will take them from negative 10 to negative 8. People did that to me. I've talked to you about it. They took me from negative 20 to negative 18, right? And then to negative 15. And then I went back to negative 30 for a while, right? 10 years. But 10 years later, I went from negative 30 to go visit them to negative 20 to negative 10. And then in that moment where God poured out his grace into my life, I went from negative 10, boom, to zero. And I've never looked back. You know, never looked back, right? And it all happened through people serving me and caring for me. Just serve. I didn't say, Jesus didn't say when the Samaritan, we're not talking about this, you know, I, I, wanna, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a similar to serving when I shouldn't. So, look, ask, what Jesus is saying here is, he's not saying who is your neighbor. He's telling you to be a neighbor. Jesus is telling those people that day, it's about being a neighbor. The, the, the point here, the focus is not who is really, the focus is not who is your neighbor. The focus is be a neighbor. He wants us to be neighbors, right? And the people who are to be neighbors to are the people who need to know him, right? Yes, there could be hurt. People could be hurting with money, disease, difficulty, but more than anything else, they need to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, yes? All right, so... It takes your willingness to be inconvenienced. It takes your willingness to sacrifice time, money, uh, resources. It does. It's what it, that's what they did for me. That's what we do for people. That's what you need to do. And, it, and what this does is it takes the focus off yourself and puts it on other people. That's a powerful thing. We just get too indulged within ourselves. And inevitably when we do that, we get indulged. We, we focus on negative things. We, we take things and magnify them that shouldn't be magnified. Fear becomes a, a, a evident in our lives. Jealousy, uh, appetites that are unhealthy when we really are self-indulged. But when we step outside and begin to consider others not better than ourselves, but before ourselves, and in our love of God, we want to serve them, we're going to be in a sensitive mode of looking to do that. Man, everything changes. Nothing's changed, but everything changes, Right? We get this beautiful view of this world and of God's creation and most of all of God and what he can do in us. So, and I know you get this, but we want to really emphasize this today. And if you're here, I want you to go here in this way of your relationship with God. If you're in church, I want you to know this is really what we're about here. We love to see people get served and we serve people. And we're glad to serve you no matter where you are in your life. You know, if, <coughs> if somebody, it's winter time, Somebody needs shoveling. Go out there and do it. Guy across the road from us, older man and his wife, they're just really good people, uh, confident they're not in the faith. You know, he's a pretty healthy guy, but sometimes in wintertime his knee, his back go out, and you'll know because you'll see the path to his door into his oil uh, spigot there, whatever you call it, isn't shoveled. My boys will go over and they'll shovel. Sometimes I'll go over and I'll shovel with them, you know. Now they start, on the holidays, they give us goodies and candies. That's why I'm, this is, that's what's happening here, you know. Less shoveling, more goodies, cookies. But look, but it's happening, right? And I believe in my heart that negative 10, negative 8, right? Negative 7. That's what God's using us for, huh? You got, you know, this past winter, you brought in, in the fall, you brought in winter clothes for people. Women from our church and their children facilitated those clothes, getting into the hands of people who need them. That's awesome. Every other week, people here from Chair City 
go, they work with the GCAC to cook and serve a hot meal to 50, 60, 70 people at the First Congregational Church. How cool is that, right? Last couple of weeks, we've been having people that were in the hospital, and they, some have come home and are recovering, and I've been hearing how you're visiting them at night and during the day and lunch, and I am so excited about that. Last, this past Friday night, you know, I like to do my visits late at night, 12 o'clock, 11 o'clock, midnight sometimes, right? So late Friday night, actually this was kind of a crisis visit that came up late at night on Friday. I went to go visit somebody in the hospital just to serve. Actually, I was standing there by the bedside of the man, you know, who was in a difficult state. And a doctor walks in, and she looked at me, and she walked over and to shake my hand, and she said, are you his partner? <laughs> so, I guess... I guess not many men are standing by the bedside of other men. Maybe we should be, right? So, guys, get out there and serve, man. What are you doing? In a weak moment, I said yes. And the man who was stunned said, he's my pastor. So the doctor, the doctor left thinking I am his partner and his pastor. <coughs> All right. There's a football game on today. It's having an effect on all of us, right? Where am I? Okay. So look, let's move on. Being a neighbor is the right thing to do. The next thing we want to do, we've got to fly through this. The next thing we want to do to be a neighbor, to serve those, is we want to invite them to church. Look, this, this is it. More people come to faith in God, meaning more lost become found when they come to church on Sunday. It's still the tip of the spear. It's why we do what we do. Me and Chrissy took like a two-year hiatus to discover what was the best way, you know, just having church in homes, doing kind of this missional stuff, and, 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 you know, we were searching what's the best way to know God and to see people come to know God. And we had actually moved away from the kind of institutional church, and when it was all said and done, we're like, okay, no, it is, the, it is the church, and this is the model, and this is how people come to know God in this day in New England, really, I think, in this country. Huh? That Sunday morning is still, by far, nothing comes close. The environment where I think it's like 80% plus people come to know God, and, and it's probably higher than that. So we want to invite people to church. Listen, you know I'm not big on Facebook. I go on a few times a week, maybe for like about five minutes, and I get all these notifications. When I go on, it's like you got like 56 notifications. And a lot of them are people inviting me to play games. And I'm thinking like, what, what the heck do they think? I got nothing to do but to play some candy game or some farm game? And what are they doing? I'm just telling you. It's like, so-and-so invited you, but so-and-so, so-and-so needs to get a life, okay? And there's a lot of so-and-sos, by the way. I got 56 notifications. I'm like, do they know they're inviting their pastor to play this stupid game? It's like next time they tell me, Pastor, please pray. I'm going to say, can't pray right now. I'm too busy playing Candy Crush. Sorry about that, right? Come on. <coughs> All right. Where was I? I'm not going to walk out. I'm going to walk out with no friends today. So listen. And then you get, but now I get other notifications that invite me to events. I kind of like those notifications. I mean, I like those notifications that invite me to a party or something. I, I get it that they probably just pushed a button and went out there, but I just assume, you know, that they like me and they're inviting me to this event. And I do. I'm like, I smile. It's cool. I like it, huh? Some of you are going to have to kind of 
bring me up to speed on Facebook afterwards, you know? <coughs> Something like that, my Facebook etiquette, right? I know, I, if, I just don't respond to the whole friend request. I just don't. I got like several hundred friend requests. I got to keep getting them out of here. But if you come to the church and you're a guest and you fill out the card, those honestly are the only friend requests I respond to. Yeah, yeah so. And my mother, I did her last week, but anyway. <laughs> Listen, people like to get invitations. You need to know that. Push past this stigma that they don't want you to invite them to church. People like to get invitations. It sends a message that they're valued, that they mean something to you. It's inquisitive. It stirs things up. They like to. There is this stigma that it's uncomfortable. They don't want me to ask them. Do you know it's anywhere from 50, it says anywhere from 50 to 75% of people that are invited to church eventually go to church. That's astonishing, right? 50 to 75%. The majority of them say, yeah, I was okay with being invited. Invite them to church on Sunday morning. This idea has been around for a long time. Even in the times of Jesus, John chapter 4, verse 29, precious part of scripture is a woman who's saying to other people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come and see. Come and see, people. She's inviting them. How can we serve the lost in a practical way? By inviting them to church. Put aside this you know, this kind of self-contrived, culturally contrived stigma that they don't want that. I'm not saying they might, not, might, not, they might be a little uncomfortable and uneasy. That might exist. I'm not dismissing that. But I'm telling you, it's not that they don't want it. There's a lot of things that we might be a little uncomfortable with or a little not at ease with that we still want it, right? Or we might think it's good for us, so we're going to consider it and weigh on it. Invite them to church. Just ask them. And you know what? Here's the thing. Once you have served them by helping them, by caring for them, by being compassionate with them, as we just talked about, now you've got some positive connection, right? You're building on that, man. You got some stay no wow. You got some skin in the game. I won't do a deal with anybody who doesn't have skin in the game, right? I don't I won't. So not only is it going to be beautiful and it's going to be wonderful and it's going to be great. But I love doing deals. <laughs> my wife's just saying, where are you going? I'm sorry. Then nobody left. So, okay, I'm sorry. That was my second Donald Trump impersonation. All right. My wife is giving me signals. Okay, there you go. Oh, okay. oh she's doing something with the fingers. Okay. I got to get a wig. I'm cool with her. Anyway. So, we want them to show up in church with us. It's steps. Come and see. No theological explanation. No apologetic debate. No steps to salvation. That's okay, and I think there's a time for that. Just come and see. Come and check out my church. Hey, would come and, you know, it's a great group of people for the most part, you know. People truly trying to live out their faith, and maybe at times in an imperfect way, but really just following God. And, and you know, people's lives get changed, and and it's a good thing, and I promise never to embarrass you, except when I do my Donald Trump impersonations. <laughs> no, really, this is what we, we are waiting for your guests. We are ready for your guests. From the time they walk through that door to the cafe, to they come in here, to the trailers, to the sermons, to the dress, we are ready and waiting to welcome your guests, huh? Yeah. We want to do. Listen, we want to just tell them to come and see. It's a great way to serve them. And there are, now you say, okay, wait, Dave, how does inviting the church really kind of connect to serving them? 
Well, because we, we want to love them. And if we love them and we serve them, we want to help them to come to church. Because when they come there, there are many benefits they will get. They'll be removed from possibly isolation. More likely than not nowadays. I think the CDC, I was in, when I was in class in seminary a couple of weeks ago, one of the professors says that the CDC is actually, I don't know, I haven't checked into the validity of it, but he's an Anglican priest, so I'm going to lean on him there, is that the CDC is actually talking about isolation is a disease at this point. I mean, it's contributing so much to people's maladies and their illnesses, and it's increasing so much, this isolation. Huh? So you're bringing them into a community of people, and of pretty good people. You do a great job here. Huh? You're, you're introducing them to learning about applicable things in their lives. Well, we do that here, money, relationships, emotions, all in the context of God, huh? of the God who created them. And most of all, you're giving them, sharing with them that opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, to turn from living apart from God, mired in their sins, maybe a slave to their sins, living in a way where they're only gratifying themselves. They're expanding their appetites for things that really are simply often degrading. I didn't say they're bad people. Like I said, sometimes I'd rather hang out with them than people over here. And there could be some really cool and great and things about them. But all said and done, open up the hood, and man, there's just some ugliness going on. Most of all, they are apart from God, huh? And now you give them this opportunity, vivid opportunity, huh? vibrant opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ. And I think that's awesome, right? Huh? So, now, we like to do that here. We call them big days. I mean, we try and give you this kind of platform to do that. We put in time, we put in money. Easter is a big day. We really try and do special stuff around here. That's kind of a common thing. We have other big days during the year where we say, okay, this, this day, this sermon series is going to be about geared towards unchurched people. The next series after this, coming up in a couple of weeks or a few weeks, is going to be a relationship series through February, right? And it's gonna, it's, I think it's going to be one of our best series on relationships. You want to start inviting unchurched people. To even tell them to go and listen to our past series on relationships. They're honestly, they're fantastic. The seasons of marriage, love and respect, they're just good. Good. When we, went, when we went through the Song of Solomon, good stuff on marriage. But tell them, hey, we're going to be doing this series on relationships. And actually, we're going to cover different relationships, not only marriage in this one. Big days, right? But you know what? We have another big day. And it's a fun day. And it's February 5th this year. Now, what's going on February 5th this year? Oh, the Steelers are playing somebody in the Super Bowl, right? <coughs> yeah. The blood, the blood. I think we're going to be playing the Falcons, to be honest. Oh, I'm sorry, Green Bay. Green Bay. I saw a Green Bay say, we're playing Green Bay. He was actually a pretty, he was a big guy. He was wearing a Packer jersey, so we're playing Green Bay. <laughs> All right, okay. I'll go, I'm going to go out that way for sure. <laughs> what goes on February 5th is we have giveaways, you know. We actually give away Patriot stuff. You know, I like to give people stuff they're going to use, as you know. So we give away Patriot stuff. We have Super Bowl food out there. People come, you wear your favorite team's jersey, you know. So I will be wearing that black and gold, you know, the color of the team that we'll be playing that day. You will be wearing a lot of your Patriot shirts and hats and scarves. We got Dolphin fans. We got Eagles fans. We got the pack. My Packer friends promised me he's going to come back on February 5th. He didn't, but I'm just putting it out there. (laughs) 
So no, I mean, we have a great time, but you know what, in the midst of all that, we watch these videos. It's actually just one video. Last year, man, I, I tell you, we had tears in our eyes. You know, Trent Dilfer did an incredible job talking about his personal life, what happened with his son. It, and, and I don't care who you were, what walk of life you came from, you were moved. And you got this glimpse of God. And that's what these men and their wives are going to do that Sunday. You're going to hear it. Your friends are going to hear it. Invite your friends to church on February 5th, right now. You got those cards? See, we're trying to help you. We try and encourage you. Take the card out. Super Bowl Sunday. Wow, looks great. Hey, you know what? We're doing something special at my church regarding the Super Bowl, you know? We meet at the Garden of Cinemas. It's a great day. Wear your jersey. Put the black stuff under your eyes. Stuff to eat. We're going to be listening to some of the football players. Just a really cool morning. You want to come? Invite your friends. Take those cards. We're going to give out cards this week. We'll give out more next week. Uh, you know what? If there's, get some cards at the next step table. Put a stack there in case you want more cards. But right now, be determined what? To serve the lost. Be determined to worship God, to know God, to serve the lost by inviting them to Super Bowl Sunday, February 5th, here at Chair City Community Church. Go Steelers, okay? <laughs> I was going to wear my jersey, but something told me not to do that today. <coughs> you know? All right, we got to close this up. Whoa, it's 5 after 11. Okay. Worship team, why don't you come on, and I'll get through this quickly. <coughs> I got to do 15 minutes and two. All right, the last thing we could do, this kind of personal now, I'm going to push through it, is we want to prepare. We want to prepare for the lost, right? Now, as you know, your team is going to be prepared to play tonight, right? Because they're the Patriots, and there's no such thing as a Bill Belichick team being underprepared, right? It just doesn't fly in this man's way. They're going to be ready tonight. They're going to lose, but they're going to be ready. You know, he, he goes to great extents to be prepared. He, he's even known to take other jobs during the week to be prepared. Somebody sent me a clip. Do we have it? We should have it. We don't have it. There it goes. He took a job working with the Pittsburgh Steelers and their grounds crew this week, huh? All right. All right. So let me, let me come. We got to close this out. We're going long today. All right. <laughs> Thanks for that, by the way. That was a Dolphin fan who sent me that, by the way. So this past week, a Steeler, a football player on the Steelers, kind of had a mind lapse, and he filmed conversations going on in their locker room, and he put it up on Facebook. And it was kind of this colorful way of the Steelers talking about how they wanted to beat the, uh, the Patriots, right? Yeah, yeah. So now they're talking to Belichick. The media's interviewing him. And this is what he responded by. This is what he said. He said, as you know, I'm not, I'm not on Snapface and all that. So I don't really get those. I'm really just worried about getting our team ready to go. I'm not really too worried about what they put on InstaChat or anything or whatever it is, right? <laughs> so Belichick went on to say how preparation is so important, how they start with the end in mind, they, they start and they work their way in. And he talks about how every player is doing various things during the week to get prepared. They're watching film, they're lifting weights, they're deflating balls, they're checking out binoculars, they're doing all this stuff, right? So listen, when I came in today, a young woman, actually one of our teens, so cool, she decided to serve her church and you by baking cookies for the cafe. 
And she had like a couple of dozen cookies, all with these Patriot logos on them. And she was kind enough to make one cookie that was Steeler's. But I do want you to notice, the Steeler cookie is on top, baby. It's a sign of things to come. <laughs> we got to get out of this. All right. I got to get through this. So listen, here, what, here's what I mean by being prepared for the loss. It's a huge difference maker. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it, right? What is Peter saying here? See, I want you to get, faith isn't the same as credulity. What is credulity? Credulity is a state of willingness to believe in someone or something in the absence of reasonable proof or knowledge. Faith is more than that. There's an abundance of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's more evidence, documents to support the resurrection of Jesus Christ than any other historical event known to mankind. Do you know that? That's just a fact. That's why so many people who set out to disprove it wind up coming over into the faith. It's just such a historical fact. I don't think, now as true as that is, and as much as I'm about apologetics, you can go on our website and the sermons, we've done a couple of series related to apologetics, substantiating critical things of the faith. Talking, I don't think that's what Peter's saying here. When he's talking about explaining, huh? When he's saying being ready to explain it, I don't think he's talking about an apologetic engagement to substantiate factually who Jesus was and what our faith is, which is okay. I think he's talking about something personal here. I think what Peter is telling him is, hey, tell people about your personal testimony. Tell them what Jesus meant to you. Tell them what Jesus has done in your life. Tell them what he means to you. And don't be timid about it. Don't scream. Just be natural about it. As if it means something to you. If it's made a difference in your life. Be ready to share your personal testimony of what God has done in your life to serve the lost. Yes? I do it all the time. For years, you know, the first, I have a kind of a, I think Christy's testimony is just as valuable and meaningful as mine. And I, I'm big on that. I was kind of confused when I came in Christian circles and it was like, you know, the druggies and the people like me who were worse than the druggies, uh, we kind of got this big platform and people like Christy got this smaller platform. And I'm like, I don't get this because it really, I'm pretty impressed and admired about what she's done to stay in the faith. And you know me, I'm, I'm just, wow, right? So there's got to be a balance. You get what I'm saying? Okay, <laughs> we're all sinners. By the grace of God, we've all come into faith, and it's all by the same grace, yes? So where was I? It's kind of a personal thing. We want to be ready. to, And everyone's testimony means something, and it connects to everyone. Here's a quote by this uh, Shauna Nyquist. She says, there is nothing small or inconsequential about our stories. There is, in fact, nothing bigger. And when we tell the truth about our lives, the broken parts, the secret parts, the beautiful parts, then the gospel comes to life. It's an actual story about redemption. People can see it right before their eyes. Instead of abstraction and theory and things you learn in Sunday school, those theories, abstraction, Sunday school, all good contributors, but nothing, but nothing, but nothing compares to you sharing with somebody what Jesus has done in your life. I got off track. My first seven, eight years, I, never t- I really didn't tell anybody from up front, from preaching or speaking about my testimony, about what God had done in my life. But I would share it with individuals at night, in a breakfast place in the morning. Uh, so I didn't feel right just getting up there and, and sharing about what God had done in my life in like a grand way. I didn't want to do that. The, the, I served a church for eight years. The last Sunday I was in that church, I told them, this is what God has done in my life. This is who I was. 
such a pleasure to serve you. You have no idea what it meant to me that you would think of me in such a good way. To God be the glory. Next church I served, I was in around here for three years. Last day I was there. Called the pastor together, called the staff together and said, you know what? I never told you this, but this is who I was. And this is what God has done in my life. And it's been so, so meaningful that you would think well of me. That you would say commendable things about me. That you would allow me to serve amongst you. you got to know it meant so much to me. And it was so evident what God has done in my life. It's a beautiful thing, right? And it never changes. I tell you, it's such a privilege and such a joy to serve you, to see you speak well of me, to be kind to me, to allow me to visit you in hospitals and to bring people and your family and friends into my, my presence and, and allow me to connect with them. It's such evidence of God's favor and grace in my life. It is redemption, yes? Share this with people. Share what God has done in your life, and you will continually keep growing. You will go from negative 20 to 0 to 5 to 10 to 15 to 20 to 30 to glory, yes? You will glorify God, and you will enjoy Him in doing so. So look, a few things before I close, and we will close right now. Consider these three elements. You can contact me by email, by phone, and I'll give you these because I'm going to fly through them. Here's three kind of elements to consider when giving your testimony. One, talk about your life before Jesus. This is who I was before I came to know Christ, you know. Talk about how you came to Christ. This were the kind of what was surrounding you, the contributing factors, you coming to know Christ, the person, the event, this, that. And now talk about your life since you've come to Christ, since you started following Jesus. Just break it out that way. Put it down, memorize it. Man, share it. It is God's gift to you. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these people. I thank you, God, that you've called us right now. You're stirring us by your spirit, oh God, to serve one another. Lord, to have a mind of a servant, to serve our families, oh God. Right now, God, push past anger, push past resentment, push past bitterness, push past anything that will distract us. Self-indulgence, God, that we would just know you and love you, that we would rise above everything, that we would be better and serve those in our families. Husband to wife, children to parent, sibling to sibling. Come on, we can do this. You're going to know your family longer than anybody else. You're closer to more than anybody else. God, right now, God, Holy Spirit, stir us, inspire us, empower us, oh God, to see the bigger picture, God, that we can serve others, oh God, because it is you in us. Let us see past our limitations. Let us get outside ourselves. Let us put some skin in this game, oh God, and let us serve others, oh God. Bring them into our path. Let us serve them in ways of giving and sacrificing. Let us serve them, oh God by bringing them here to church on Sunday, oh God. Let us be proud of our church and let us serve them, oh God, by sharing how you have glorified yourself in our lives. To God be the glory, amen.